this was literally out loud. Like I, it was almost like I, it was like someone was sitting in a chair beside me and they said it out loud. Is what it felt like. And I heard it out of one ear more than the other. And, and the, <laughs> it's, it's crazy to, to say it that way, but I, I, there's nothing you can do to convince me that was not God saying, here's exactly what you're going to do. When he was a senior in high school with his future securely laid out for him, Drew Oakley heard the audible voice of God calling him in a different direction. Drew fled from that course, back to safety. Today, Drew shares how God steered him away from the path of safety and back into the life of fulfillment God had prepared for him. Welcome to A Stronger Faith, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to the presence and movement of God in the lives of everyday people. I'm your host, Stacey McCants, and our sincere prayer is that God moves you through what you hear today. As we enter the holiday season, we want to invite you to join us in prayer, asking God to use these conversations to draw more people to Himself. We know that it's God's will that His children come to know Him more deeply. And we know that He calls us to pray that His will be done. So let's increase our prayer these next few weeks and pray that God moves His children toward Him, especially through the work of this ministry. Also, if you feel that God may be making you aware of someone you know who has an experience of the presence of God in their lives that might share it to grow His kingdom, please let us know by visiting our website at astrongerfaith.com. There's a button on the home screen that gives you the opportunity to recommend a guest. It's how we get most of our guests as an easy way for you to be obedient if God is moving you. Today's conversation with my friend, Pastor Drew Oakley, moves completely away from what was planned. And we believe that's because God decided to speak a specific word about obedience versus safety that wasn't on our agenda. Expect that word to be for you. Please meet Drew Oakley. Drew Oakley, I can't tell you how tickled I am to have you here. You are a pastor locally here, and but you've only been here a couple years. You you come from Kentucky. Yep, I do. I've uh, been here 18 months, moved from just south of Cincinnati, Ohio, across the Ohio line. Grew up on a cattle farm between Louisville and Cincinnati on the Ohio River, so that's me. <laughs> that's perfect. Well, um, an active person at your church that I know well in the community uh, said, we were having breakfast one day, and he said, you need to you need to talk to Drew. I was like, why do I need to talk to Drew? He's like, because you guys talk very similarly about uh, faith, and you guys like to um, research and dig and have an intellectual conversation about things, and I'm like, well... <laughs> That sounds great to me. I don't know that I should be talking to somebody that smart, but um, I, I'm going to get exposed for not being so smart. But <laughs> anyway, no. And so we did. We had lunch two or three times, and it, it's, I feel like if I go three or four weeks without having a, a sit down with you, then it's not something's not right. So, so we've talked about a bunch of stuff of faith, and I finally. You told me some stuff. I was like, okay, well, now you just gonna have to come in. <laughs> now, so you're here. Yeah, I'm so glad to be with you. Thanks for inviting I'm me. I'm glad to do it. But you're a pastor, and when I talk to you about that, a lot of times I think pastor. You probably had that in your family. 
may have been raised in a strong family of faith, had a calling through youth ministry and all these other things, sort of destined to be a pastor, but it really wasn't the case so much for you. No, it really, really wasn't. I had, my grandfather was a minister, United Methodist minister, but my dad really wasn't in the faith. He wasn't a Jesus follower up until late in his life. My mom, on the other hand, who was that uh, pastor's daughter, drug me to church three days a week. But I was just kind of like a a cultural Christian. I, I knew how to do church. You know, I knew when to be quiet, when to stand up, what to sing, what not to sing, and, and really didn't didn't take my faith super serious, uh, and, and never in a million years did I dream that I would become a pastor. In fact, I chose a completely different career path. You don't feel like you were being groomed a little bit from granddad, mom? I don't really think so. I don't think my grandfather wanted me to have this life. Uh, I remember when I when I finally told him that I was called in the ministry, he said, I've never been so happy and so sad for you all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Why was that? Uh, I mean, just because, you know, growing up, I just, I watched him struggle, you know? I mean, he, he was a what we call a bivocational pastor, so he worked at a factory job and then preached on Sunday morning, and um, just uh, church people can be mean sometimes, I yeah. guess is the best way to put it, and, and he just would come home frustrated and feel like he was trying to do what God wanted him to do, but couldn't get it through, and so I, I don't think he ever wanted this life for me. I know my mom didn't. I know my dad didn't. Um, Your mom didn't? No, she did not. I think my mom secretly, I don't know if it was secret or not, I think she openly said, one day you're going to be a, a pastor. I'm like, wow. what? What would make you think that? <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. So your mom did not groom you to be a pastor. No, I really don't think so. I, she wanted me to be a Jesus follower, and she wanted yeah. my, my brother and I to be Jesus followers. That was really important to her uh, and still is. You know, um, She was the mom who prayed over my cradle as a kid You know, and, and uh, I read us King James Scripture at night before we went to bed. My brother and I, had we shared a bedroom all the way through both of us going through high school and um, we would sit below our bunk beds, and my mom would read Genesis to Revelation over and over again in King really? James. Yeah, yeah, she would read every night to us. Um, but she didn't. It, it was never with the intention to push us into ministry. She didn't want that for either one of us. She just wanted to make sure we were faithful. We right. were. We were. Um, she would say, uh, "Remember who you are when we walk out of the door," and that didn't really mean you're my son. Don't embarrass me. It meant you're a son of God, and don't forget it. And so. Never one time did she mention pastoral ministry to me as a kid. She was the one that convinced me to go to engineering school and to work on my math and do the things. So it was not in her purview. And my dad, I, I, I don't want to pick on my dad. I love my dad. Dad loved me too. He just was not really a, he wasn't really a faithful person growing up. He became a Jesus follower much later in life. So he definitely wasn't going to push me down that yeah. track. In fact, he was trying to convince me to join the fraternity that he was in at the college that I was going to and telling me the things that I could do. So yeah, not not uh, no one in my family was really pushing me this direction. So, what was the plan? What what, what were you thinking you were going to do? Yeah, so um, I, I've always considered myself to be an intellectual. I don't know, book stuff just always came easy to me, and so I was really really good with math. I was uh, I contemplated going into the military. Actually, uh, I talked to recruiters a few times, and uh, ultimately uh, decided I wanted to be a civil engineer. And so I applied to the University of Kentucky and was accepted almost immediately. My ACT scores got me quite a bit of scholarship money. And so it was like a, it was a clean track. I had everything set up, you know, what I needed. And I got a, a band scholarship to go to UK. I, I'm, I'm a band geek. So I, I got all that stuff set up. And, and uh, the, the, the plan was to go into civil engineering. I think our, our paths are going to diverge at the ACT scores. I, I'm sitting here thinking, it's like, it, yeah, I, my ACT score didn't give me any scholarships, I don't think. But uh, anyway, so civil engineer. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, my dad did excavation work. Uh, cause I grew up on a farm. He had a bunch of different jobs. Uh, and so the plan was that if I went and got an engineering degree, then I could come back and design things that he could build and we could just kind of do this family business thing together. And we already had a couple other family businesses. My dad was one of those kids that didn't know what he wanted to do when he grew up. So he did everything. Yeah. I kind of get that from him. Yeah. But but that was the plan was, uh, I'm going to get an engineering degree and we'll work in, you know, specialized in utilities and city planning and that kind of thing. And then come back and help him design stuff that he would build for the city. So. Did you start down the road? Did you go to college? I and, did. And yeah. Begin uh, the curriculum. Uh, I did. Uh, interestestingly enough, I had this weird encounter before all that happened, but I did. I, I started uh, freshman year at UK in engineering one hundred one, calc one. I, I, you know, I finished. I actually finished the degree um, at UK, but I felt like it wasn't. By the time that I got done, I knew it wasn't what I was supposed to do. So. By the time you got done yeah. completing the required <laughs> required undergrad. Yeah. For engineering, you had decided it wasn't what you were probably supposed to do. Yeah. Well, what happened? I mean, so, so so something happened from this bent on intellectual work, civil engineering uh, plan uh, with your family, and then emerging from undergrad as, I, I, I think I've taken the wrong path here. Yeah. Yeah, and there was uh, quite the curveball to throw to my family. Uh, but but this weird thing happened to me when I was seventeen. I, I had uh, was a senior at, at in my high school, and uh, I'd already been accepted in engineering. I already had been offered a scholarship. All the stuff was lined up. The plan was set in motion uh, for me to go to UK. And uh, I didn't. I like I said I grew up in church, and so I knew about prayer, and and I prayed every day. But it was like those. <sighs> It was like those prayers that are just like, I'm going to go through this motion because my mom said I have to, and I'm going to say these things that I think I'm supposed to say. And so I was laying in bed at night, you know, and we had bunk beds, my brother and I did. I'm 17 and he's 14 and he's, uh, you know, laying in the bunk above me. And uh, I'm just praying in my head. I wasn't praying out loud. I was praying in my head. And I just said, you know, God, um, you know, um, help me to be a good engineer and help me to make it through college. Just, you know, I was, it was those kind of like selfish prayers. Like, God, I just need this from you. Um, and as I'm sitting there praying, I'm going, you know, God, am I going to be a great engineer? And I, the craziest thing, and I, people still look at me like I'm nuts when I say it, but I'm laying in my bed, it's the middle of the night. I say those words in my head and out loud in the room, I hear, no, you're not. I say, God, am I going to be a great engineer? And out loud, I hear, no, you're not. And it was, it was so startling to me that I literally set up and hit my head on the bunk bed above me. Like I, I hit my head on the, the slats of my brother's bed. I thought he was messing with me, but then I was like, no, I'm praying in my head. This doesn't make any sense. And so, I'm, you know, I just kind of sat there kind of terrified for a few minutes. Um, and then I heard that same voice say, you're going to be a pastor. Uh, and <laughs> I know people look at me so crazy when I say it, but it, I can't, I can't deny it. Like I wasn't asleep. I wasn't like dreaming, you know, I, the, the, my brother wasn't messing with me. There was no talk box. I'm just sitting in my bed, praying in my head say, am I going to be a great engineer? And God says, no. And then a few seconds later said, you're going to be a pastor. And the thing that was crazy about it was I had no desire whatsoever, no desire whatsoever to be a pastor. And in fact, uh, it was at that moment that I decided, okay, you know, I'm, I'm hallucinating. I'm crazy. Or if that's true, I want nothing to do with it. And um, it actually bugged me so much I stopped praying that night. That was the last time I prayed between then and my sophomore year in college um, because I didn't, you know, I'd always heard those things when I was a kid, like if, you know, God's going to send you to do big things and if you pray, he's going to answer those prayers. So I was like, well, you know, enough of that. And uh, I just, I just ran. I just ran away from my faith. Um, After you heard the voice of what you believe is the voice of God, you 
scared you away from faith? It, or? it actually scared me away from faith for a time. I, that's it. Didn't scare me away from faith. It scared me away from crossing the line to give my life to this new pathway that God had for me. Uh, I don't in that season of time between seventeen and nineteen twenty. I don't think I ever stopped believing in God. I just didn't believe he was relevant, or I just told myself he wasn't relevant, and I tried to live my life my own way because I didn't want the path he'd laid before me. I already had another one that I already picked. Uh, and so selfish uh, a little bit, but it was also kind of fear. <laughs> and, you know, uh, in the middle of all of that time, I met my now wife, and I'd already promised her I was going to be an engineer that made lots of money and all those things. And <laughs> uh, and so there was this kind of, it just, I, I, I my life was, was uh, there was a lot of momentum moving in an opposite direction from where God seemed to be calling me, and I didn't want to change that, if that makes sense. I got to go back to the voice of God. <laughs> yeah. So... What's the case, put on your detective hat for a second, what's the case that you didn't actually hear an audible voice? Uh, you know, I mean, some people have tried to say through the years that I just imagined it. But I, in in years since then, when I'm praying, and I can sense the Holy Spirit saying something to me, it's different. It doesn't sound audible. It doesn't vibrate my eardrums. It doesn't, uh, it, it, it's like a sense in my heart. This was literally out loud. Like I, it was almost like I, the, it was like someone was sitting in a chair beside me and they said it out loud is what it felt like. And I heard it out of one ear more than the other. And, and the, <laughs> it's, it's crazy to, to say it that way, but I, I, there's nothing you can do to convince me that was not God saying, here's exactly what you're going to do. And I have a master's degree. I, I went, you know, I, I'm an intellectual guy. I've tried. I, you can't convince me. You can't make a case. It wasn't somebody near the window. It wasn't your brother. It wasn't uh, second floor of an old farmhouse in the corner. You know, we were living in the middle of nowhere. Um, Are you sure you were saying those prayers in your head and not out loud? I am certain I was saying those prayers in my because I was always embarrassed to hear my for my brother to hear me pray. Yeah, uh, and he's I, I can, literally I can right see above that, me for sure. What did it sound like? Do you remember? A gentle voice. It sounded like a gentle voice, but a firm voice. Was it deep? Uh, yeah. I mean, it kind of was. It was just like, um, I, I imagine it being, you know, when, when I, this is so weird, but like when I read the, when I read the prodigal son story mm-hmm. in, in scripture, the voice of the father in that is what I, I take this voice and I plop that in to me. It, it felt gentle, but firm. Um, it felt fatherly but also powerful if that makes any sense at all like it just it was it was enough to literally make me sit up and hit my head on the bunk and and I wasn't a startled I wasn't a kid that startled really easily mm-hmm. but it was a, it was a voice that I had to like I felt like I had to respond to and I didn't know how to. Does it make sense? Like I've heard, yeah. you know, you hear stuff when you're in a restaurant or something and people are talking all around and you hear things and you just kind of ignore it and block it out. This was a ver- voice that felt so close and so real that I felt like I had to respond to it. Yeah, I, I've had a couple of people on here who have heard an audible voice, and they describe something similar, something that was really gentle and loving, but with mega authority. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't something that you could dismiss. I want to know. I always want to know the mechanics of that. Tell me how loud it was. Was it a whisper? Was it loud? Was it? 
Yeah, was it all around? You said you heard it more clearly out of one ear than yeah. the other would indicate that maybe it was coming from a, so- a source? Yeah, which is why it was so strange. So I'm laying in our bunk beds, you know, and I'm, my, my feet are kind of facing this direction. The, the, the open area is on my right. And I'm just laying there and it's it's dark and it's silent. I mean, we didn't have a fan or anything in our bedroom. It was just kind of quiet. We hear crickets outside and that's it. And it just sounded like as I'm praying in my head, you know, when I when I pray in my head, my my inner voice is conversational to me. Like I just kind of like I'm imagining my level of voice, like what I'm talking right now. And it felt like the response was the same way. It was like it was almost like there was no there wasn't a whisper to it. There wasn't like a yell to it. It was just a a firm conversational that's not what you're going to do here's what you're going to do is is uh, what it felt like to me and like it was an answer it was it was i was asking a question and i was casually getting the answer but it was out loud yeah so lots of times almost all the time in scripture where god people have a an encounter with god like that they are usually sent on mission. There's usually some type of instruction, um, usually. And, and I take that back. They are, they are sent on mission, and maybe it's not with instructions for an immediate change. I think so Mary was informed what was going to happen to her. Paul did get instruction to go uh, immediately and to Damascus and chill out and enjoy his lack of vision for a few days and gather himself. But yours is like, it was like, I'm going to, your plans are going to be different. Yeah. Uh, and uh, your plans are going to become my plans. And this is what they're going to do. He didn't say, go change your major when you apply. No. You know, I, I did when I got done. So I hear this voice that says, you're not going to be a, you're not going to be an engineer. You're going to be a pastor. And I remember sitting up in my bed and I was like arguing with myself in my mind. And then I didn't hear this out loud, but this thought just washed over me from my heart. And I know it was a Holy Spirit thing. I was supposed to go talk to my pastor. Mm. I was supposed to go tell him what happened. And it became so abundantly clear. And in fact, over the next couple months of wrestling, I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would just have this overwhelming sense of being like sweating. You should have gone and talked to Mike. Mike McCarter was the pastor's name. You should have gone and talked to Mike. You should have gone and talked to Mike. And you didn't. And I didn't. Uh, and in fact, it was two years before I came back and told him um, because I ran. I, I was. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want anything to do with it. So I'll tell you how it all happened later. But ultimately, two years later, the full circle thing was that I came back and I sat down with Mike. I couldn't even tell my mom or my dad. And I said, I, like, look, I God told me I'm going to be a pastor. I don't even know where to start. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You know, what do I do? And and so that was this that was the beginning point of the acceptance of what God had asked me to do. But it was full circle because it was kind of that overwhelming sense that I was supposed to have done all along. So what was college like? <laughs> uh, I was a typical frat boy uh, in college. I was never really drawn to alcohol. I don't mean it that way. Um, I, I grew up with too much family history of that. It wasn't a thing. But I was just a goofy, normal, you know, I I'd go to my fraternity and hang out with guys, go to all the football games. You know, I was interested in staying up all night playing in, in the gym or going and playing basketball, just just normal stuff. But I was struggling in my school. Uh, I, I, I seemed like socially things were going well, but like I, I just never could find the ease of what had happened with me in high school. In high school, I breezed through high school, uh, graduated high school early, went to community college my senior year and got like 20 hours of college credit that I took with me which should have really helped me get through my degree. And, and to an extent it did, 
Um, but my first two years in college, I just like I was a C student, and I've never like that was not me. I was a straight A kid. It didn't matter how hard I studied. It didn't matter how much I prepared. I just I just couldn't I couldn't come over the hump. So I really poured myself more into my friendships and my fraternity and my now wife, who's was my girlfriend at the time, and uh, I spent my time doing other things. And so slowly that whole plan of college and civil engineering and all the things kind of eroded um, for me. And it was self-inflicted, you know, not, not, uh, I'm not saying God forced me to tank in my calculus test or something. That's not what I mean. Um, but it just, like, I just started feeling like I didn't belong where I was, if that makes any sense. Like I, I, I can't explain it. I, I, I can't, it was what I always wanted. It was it was really the dream that I'd had for years. It was I picked the degree and and um, you know I'm under my mom's encouragement, but it made sense. All my math scores, all my ACT stuff, everything lined up. It should have been the easiest thing in the world for me to do, but it wasn't. Yeah, wow, that is really amazing. I get this visual of like sort of slowly draining the tank of energy around this plan that you had, yeah. and just causing you to not fully immerse yourself with the kind of mindset or energy or entrepreneurial spirit that causes us to drive uh, to achieve these things. It's almost like from that moment on, even though you had already set on that course, the, the, I guess the bolt had been loosened and, and the oil <laughs> yeah. was beginning to drip out of the energy for this. That's a really good image for it. Yeah, it felt like there was a hole in the gas tank. Um, for yeah. sure. And it really all came crumbling down uh, the end of my sophomore year when I got put on academic probation. Really? Uh, I did. I got a letter <laughs> saying, uh, we know you want to be here, but we're not so sure we want you to be here. And uh, I, in the middle of all of that, had made some really stupid decisions that had uh, put my relationship with my now wife in question. And uh, I just like my, it felt like it felt like at the end of my sophomore year, my entire life imploded. I, I just found myself in a place where I didn't care about that degree anymore. Um, whether it was because they didn't want me to be there or not is not the point. I, I felt found myself in a place where I was about to lose my scholarship, where I wouldn't be able to continue to finish. I wasn't passionate about band anymore. I wasn't passionate about my fraternity anymore. I wasn't really passionate about anything. I just I just felt like everything that I had built my life on up to that moment was just eroding underneath of me, and I didn't seem to care. And so I'm sitting in my apartment in Lexington, Kentucky, um, one night, uh, right at the end of the term. It was after finals. And uh, I'm just like bawling my eyes out and uh, crying and seeing this whole plan just kind of fall apart. And I don't know even what, I hadn't been to church. I hadn't prayed. I don't know what caused me to do this. I still don't. But I just was laying there and I just felt this sudden urge to just say out loud. And I said it out loud. I was like, okay, God, I've tried it enough my way. Uh, I think I'm ready to try your way. And uh, this uh, weird sense of peace came over me uh, that I didn't, again, I can't explain because I still had a big mess to clean up. I had a lot of stuff to deal with. But I'm laying there in the floor and in a pool of my own tears. And and I just felt like that urge that God was asking me to say that. And I said it out loud. And a couple of days later, I called my pastor. I went home and met with him in his office. And I said, you can't tell anybody what I'm about to tell you. I don't want my mom to know. I don't want my grandpa to know. I don't want my dad to know, but here's what's going on. And I told him I felt called in the ministry. Um, and he prayed with me and we talked and kind of laid out where I could go. And then I started moving in that direction. 
So God informed you in a really uh, intense way, in a real inbreaking into this world, that if you didn't believe in God and you heard something with your ears, <laughs> that's that's pretty beating you over the head, this is real type stuff. From that moment on, the life that you had for this future that you had imagined began to drain. And to the point where you basically walked in disobedience for a few years. Mm -hmm. And nothing changed. In fact, it only got worse. Actively defying the words that God spoke to you. And, I mean, you didn't get, like, destroyed or anything like that. I mean, thank God. I think God gently brings us into a new place when things begin to sort of fall apart. You know, it's like, okay. And you got into a place where it, it sounds like, and I hear this from addicts and I hear it from other people, where you get into this place of desperation almost, and it's like, all right. Yeah. I'm... I'm truly turning it over to you. And from that moment on, did you feel like a a switch flip almost of peace? Was it a gradual thing that happened over a few days? And it's like, okay, this is going to be okay? Or Um, It was a bit of both. I think in that moment, like in the floor, I I felt a new energy come into me. I I felt a new resolute focus come into me. But then uh, the uneasiness about what I was going to do and what I was going to have to do, that, that didn't go away immediately. I mean, because you got to think about what invo- was involved and what had to happen next. Because uh, I go talk to my pastor, I accept this new you know pathway that I'm going to be on. But then I had to tell my mom and dad, hey, listen, all this money <laughs> poured Just into my, yeah, well, out, yeah, I'm really sorry. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, go to go to my professors and say, look, what is the quickest way I can get out of this pathway? And the interesting thing is, I know when I when I made this decision, there were a couple of professors I was really close with. And I finished the degree program and ended up making it to the top of my class. It was like, which is weird because there was no difference in in my brain or my study ethic before this moment and after it was just like now that i understood what the purpose of it was i found myself deeper in it and more resolute and so i've i've graduated in the top 5 of my class and i had professors tell me like you are crazy why are you throwing this career away why are you doing this after they had invited you to consider maybe <laughs> yeah. another option right uh there was a one of my professors <laughs> uh set me down after my sophomore year and is like you know what i really feel like you've chosen the wrong profession and in my in my senior studio the last thing he he said in front of the class he's like you know what there was a there was a moment where i wasn't sure you belonged here uh and, and in front of the class he said I, I now i know that you you very much do dr crankshaw uh great great guy uh so um passionate and and uh supportive of his students but he was amazing and he that switch flip happened between that moment of going okay I, this isn't i'm going to finish this but i don't have to it's not for what i think and it just, I don't know, just the switch flipped in me. And, and it, it was visible to people that were around me, but it didn't really make it any easier because then those people were going, why do you want to, why do you not want to do this? Why are you going to throw this career path away? I got, I got offered a job in Atlanta uh, right after, right after graduation and I uh, turned it down. It was, it 
really nice entry level job, but I turned it down. Um, I had was working in, a, in an engineering firm in Lexington at the time. Told them I was leaving to go into seminary to to join seminary. Like, why? What are you? Th- what are you thinking? And so it was just weird conversations that ended up happening. Uh, it, in the middle of all of this, I got engaged uh, to this this uh, woman that's now my beautiful wife, and I had to say, hey, look, listen, you thought. <laughs> this whole relationship was leading towards lots of money and lots of travel and all the things. But listen, I just got to be honest with you. Here's where I'm at. And uh, she was more faithful than me. She was one of the reasons I ended up back in church in the first place. And and I think God put her in my life in a very, really important time. And so she was. she's always been supportive. Uh, it's the most insane thing for her to have been supportive of me in this flip, but she was. Yeah, jumping to a, a- pastor's salary versus what work <laughs> well and worse hey you're gonna be a pastor's wife if you marry me yeah <laughs> you know, like, for sure there's lots of stuff that yeah. comes with that <clears throat> there's yeah i i go back and as i'm listening to the whole story i'm thinking about people who have felt like god has called them in a direction mm. and it's not a direction that sounds appealing to them and, and it may be ministry it may not be ministry there's Lots of places that God calls us to be and to go to serve his kingdom that aren't in ministry. And that can sound strange, but there's God could have called you into engineering so that you could make money to fund yeah. ministry. I mean, there's lots of, I mean, that sounds crazy too, but I think we all play different roles and we can't all play the same one. But I know that since that time, they have felt unfulfilled in their pursuits. And I think that there are people that think, okay, I'm going to get to the end of this road, and what am I going to have to show for it? What will I have left uh, for the world, for the culture, for society, for my kids, for whatever else it is? What What will I be remembered for? How will I have contributed to the kingdom of God in building it? And they feel maybe stuck. Yeah, I, I'm hearing yours is a sort of condensed version of what probably is the case for a lot of lives of believers that have felt God move them in a direction or two and haven't obeyed it and haven't followed it. And then maybe be in a place where they have this unfulfilled feeling. How, how do you speak to that? Yeah, it's it's so big for me because I, I having lived both the lives, I can tell you, uh, it, being a minister is hard and being a pastor is hard, but it's so much more fulfilling than the career path I was on before. And I can say that because I worked. I, I mean, I, I I worked bivocationally to pay my way through seminary. I worked as an engineer to like that was my tent making, right? And it was the way I was able to make it through. And it was always a means to an end. You know, it, it never felt like this is the thing. And it always felt like it was paving the way for me to do something more. And when I when I moved, even in college, when that sophomore to junior transition, when I finally made the decision to make this more of a means to an end than the end, it it's like it fell into place. Like it just fell into this groove. My life just kind of fell into this proper pathway it was supposed to be in. And no matter how hard, th- how hard things were, they just felt right. You know, no matter not how difficult, no matter how um, frustrating something might come up, it just felt like, well, this is absolutely the most fulfilling thing I've ever done. And you know, even when we were the first few years of ministry, living in really 
rough places. It just felt like this was exactly what we're supposed to be. And my wife and I both say that. We look back on it and, and realize that none of those decisions made sense from a human perspective, but it was exactly what God wanted us to do. Yeah, so we measure success usually with dollars in our culture. And when we feel like we get called into something that doesn't put us in secure position that way, especially if we've got kids or other things like that, we think about having to support them or whatever, it might not make sense to us to do a thing like that knowing that we've got to provide and we've got to pay for college down the line or weddings and, you know, put them in a different, uh, in a decent school and, and all these things. And so we just kind of have to suffer through whatever we have to suffer through even, and, and, and not even if, especially the unfulfilling part, especially the part where you go into work every day and, and deep down inside you hate it, Yeah, but you got to do it to put food on the table for Christians, for believers and, and I'm not saying that putting food on the table and, you know, think about my grandfather's day, the Great Depression days or whatever. It's like, hey, you just go work hard and provide for your family. And, um, you know, I look at obituaries right now on social media or whatever, especially if it's a, a guy. And they talk about, man, he was such a hard worker. And we look, admire him, mm-hmm. you know, the American way and just a, such a hard worker. And I guess as I've gotten older, it's not that I don't want to be considered a hard worker, but man, I hope that's not what people say about me. Yeah, I, I hope people say about me that he loved, uh, he loved God, and uh, he served God with his life to build the kingdom, no matter how hard I worked. But people feel like they got to do what they got to do to take care of themselves and their family even if it means forfeiting doing soul-fulfilling work for the kingdom in whatever way that looks like. How do you address that? <laughs> how, do you, how do you look at that scripturally? How do you look at that? Uh, you were in a place where you were going to go one path or the other. One path was going to be very lucrative. One path likely less lucrative. And with some troubles ahead, and God was pulling you toward that path. And but there are other people who are who are down the road. It's like if I, if I leave now mm-hmm. to go and do these things, we we may not survive financially. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, I think there's really two pieces to this that are really important for me. But the simplest one, just to begin with is something a missionary said to me not long ago is that, um, you know, in American culture, we typically measure success exactly the way you just defined it. It's um, how much money have I made, how much power have I gained. But in God's kingdom, in his um, in God's economy, right, faithfulness and obedience are success, right? Faithfulness and obedience are success. And the difficulty is we we live in the real world, um, right? But uh, Jesus said we're in the world, not of the world, right? And and that there was this concept that that we were in God's kingdom, and then we were in God's economy. And what I've noticed is the fears that I had about not making a lucrative career. And no, I don't make as much money now as I could make. Um, but we've never wanted for anything. And I don't know, like I'm not saying like it's it's an exciting thing to live on on the edge of not knowing where the next thing's going to come from. But there's always been those moments where my heart would start to worry, can we 
can we buy groceries this week? Can we do this? And this was years ago, but something would always happen. You know, someone would show up and they would stock the pantry for absolutely no reason whatsoever. They just came. I I remember um, I had to do a funeral and I couldn't afford a suit. And um, I didn't know what I was going to do. Nobody knew this. Nobody knew this, but my wife and I. We were talking about things we could sell. We were talking about like, could I? Could, it was something I could do. This funeral was coming in a couple of days. And I hear a knock on the door, and this guy walks up, and he goes, "God told me you needed a suit, <laughs> and I have a check here for two hundred dollars, and I'd like you to go, you know, buy yourself a jacket and some pants." And I like, I just broke down. I was like, "This doesn't make any sense." Like nobody knew that, but like God is, God just does that, and so. I have just learned, and it's a hard lesson, but I have learned through the years that being faithful and obedient when God says do this has always led me, maybe not to where I would have thought I was going to go, but always to a place that has been secure and peaceful in the midst of that, even when stuff looked crazy. Like, I don't know how this is going to work out. I I don't know, but God said go, so we're going to go. And that first step was always the hardest, but it felt like that we got some momentum. Once once we got as a rhythm, as a family, got into this rhythm of going, God's going to provide, we just got to wait and see. It just became much more natural. And look, I don't, <laughs> you know, we're, we're in a much better, better secure place now than we were, and things are a little bit different than they were in the first few years. But I guess I could just say God's just never, God's never let, he's never let that obedience and faithfulness come up lacking. Like, I'm not saying he's, rewarding it or he's paying for it. I don't mean that. It just means like when God said, I need you to do something, he just cleared everything out of the way and made sure that the thing he asked me to do, I could do. And that's, that's just been consistent. That's been consistent. Yeah. That is so cool. And I'm thinking through this as you're talking and it's the way we measure success. It's the way we measure what life is about. And If we believe in God and we believe that life is eternal, we got to wake up from our mind being only on the right now, only on the right now. Because if you, if you read through scripture, you learn that there will be a judgment now, we're, I don't want to get into heaven and hell and a lot of that stuff right now, but even just among believers, there seems to be an indication in Scripture that that there are sort of levels that you exist in heaven, closer and closer to God, the more you live your life on sort of the God economy, and if your pursuits are for your own gain, for your own financial stability here, and we don't have the trust in God to take care of us, we feel like we've got to do that for ourselves. It sort of hooks us into this sort of whirlpool that's very difficult to get out of. But guys like you and others, and you know, this is something I'm wrestling with as well, when you begin to measure success based on the closeness that you have to God in relationship with him, familiar with his voice, uh, following him, and ultimately doing works that produce fruit for his kingdom and building his kingdom. You begin to measure it in hearts and souls for the kingdom of God rather than current, like, like money, right? Dollar bills. And you begin to invest your time and energy 
into that. If you believe that life is eternal and that's the measuring stick by which we either please or displease God, knowing that the reward is eternal and not temporary, if we read the Bible at all, it's not about how much you put together here. And But our culture says it is. You can get to a place, and I've seen it more so in others than myself, but I'm, I'm starting to get to a place where it's almost like an infant being born. That's, they didn't breathe with their lungs in the mother's womb. But when they emerge, they, were, there's probably, they probably tried to continue to gain, get oxygen the way they did it. But all of a sudden, they take a breath, and you breathe a different way. Or it's almost like um, learning to breathe through a, um, a, an oxygen tank. Or I, I feel like there was a movie once where you could actually breathe the water in, but you had to train yourself and trust. And all of a sudden, you had to like inhale the, the awkwardness of inhaling this liquid. What movie was that? The Abyss. The Abyss. Okay. <laughs> I'm a right. big movie nerd from yeah. the 80s. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but the deal, and you could probably explain it better than me, but... To, to go against the way that you know that it's been done, the proven way that you've lived for your whole life, and breathe a different way, and realize after you take that breath that oh, there is a different way. Yeah. I, I feel that in this, and, and, and people are terrified of it. People are terrified of leaping from the way that they know causes them to survive on a daily basis on earth to follow in a way that is measured with the currency of eternity because the 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 world and eternity are in conflict <laughs> right god's way that he designed it is in conflict with the way that the world um that is inhabited by satan and his army they're two different things, and we have to learn how to breathe God's air, you know? Yeah. Well, can I just add, the thing that keeps popping in my mind over and over again is it's like the story of Moses, and I don't want to put myself in the same category as the patriarchs, okay? It's not what I'm trying to do. But Moses, a lot of things that happen to Moses, are, I see similar things in my own life in that Moses had to make the decision. When, he, when God called out to him from the burning bush, he had to say, you feel safe here tending sheep and you feel safe here in your father-in-law's house. Uh, but this isn't what I have for you. What I have for you is a different pathway and a plan. And it's not going to take you where you want to go, but it is going to take you where I want you to go. And I'll be with you when I go. And Moses, remember in the, in the desert when, when uh, God said, I'm done with the Israelites. And he said, I, you all can go, but I'm not going to go. What was Moses's prayer? If you don't go with us, we don't want to go. Uh, if you don't go, we're not going. Moses learned that over time. That was this adventure that God took him on that eventually he gets to a place where he goes, this isn't what I would have chose for myself, but I don't want to be where God's not. All right. He went from being the guy staring at the burning bush going, is there somebody else you can ask to, if you don't go, I'm not going, I'm going exactly where you're going. Uh, that's learned. It, it takes time, but like you, exactly what you just said, he took that first breath of faithfulness at the burning bush and that led him into a life of mature spirituality where he followed God, wherever God told him to go. And look, Moses faced some hard stuff. You know, the Israelites were pains in the butt sometimes, right? And and they you know they did some things that just drove him insane. But he he's like, look, if you don't go, we don't go. 
We're going to go where you are. And if, if you stop, then we stop. If you go, then we go. Where do you learn that? Well, from God continually being with him as Moses was faithful and obedient. We got to ask ourselves if we believe that God is real and we believe that he loves us and he is going to care for us. I, I, I get into this place where I, I worry about our finances and I, I, I now invest my time in doing these kinds of things because I believe um, I'm supposed to follow the Great Commission. I think that was, uh, that was pretty clear. And, and in times, and, and as I do this, it is super fulfilling. I, I cannot express the fulfillment that I experience doing what I, I do now. We haven't bought a box of cereal with anything that, so we don't have that. And, and so I am wrestling with that. And as I wrestle with that, how we're we going to take care of ourselves and our kids, and I, I don't see the path. I, I feel like every time God says, Stace, remind me again of the times that I didn't take care of you. Yeah. That's so good. Right? Show me. Point them out to me. And, and it's in a gentle way. It's not in a condemning way. But it's just like, tell me when I haven't taken care of you. And I, I can't. And I can't. And I just feel like he's saying, hey, trust me. You just got to trust me. I see things you don't see. I see a picture you can't see right now. What you can do is you can trust me. And I know. And I know it is just dominant in our culture, especially in this country, where we feel like, I I think we check in on Sundays for most of us, but we don't live a life of true obedience to God in everything that we do and truly trust Him, and including with how we are using our time on this earth to further the kingdom of God. I think it's a it's a hobby we do occasionally in a lot of cases. I know a lot of people who invest their lives, and I'm not saying this is everybody and or, or anything like that. I do know that there are people listening to this right this moment that says, I hear you. I feel that. And I'm scared to death because if I do that, I don't know how we're going to survive. Yeah. Oh gosh, it's so good. It it takes that first leap of faith, and let me let me. I I, I feel led to say this. It feels like it's kind of a tangent, but I, I want to say this out loud. There are so many people who also feel like the only way that I can fulfill that, that I can be a part of building the kingdom is to go into vocational ministry. Right? To, I have to. I have to. To become a pastor, I have to become someone who works in a church. That's just not the way it works in God's kingdom at all. And in fact, I'm a huge proponent that. God can have a plan for you within the vocational uh, you know, outlet you've already chosen. It's just being faithful in the middle of that. Are you going to be faithful and obedient that God gave you the gifts that you have, that God gave you the career path that you have? And and if he says go in a new direction, will you be faithful and obedient? But but he can also say your vocation can be your ministry. Yes. You know, I know so many people like that. There's a uh, someone I'm really close with, a good friend of mine, who's an advisor at, at, a, at, our, at our local college. And she sees her job as ministry. She works in a you know secular college, but she sees what she does as ministry. That God built her this way. That God gave her these gifts. I think, I think we miss that. And, mm-hmm. and so then we think you know to be faithful means to do these 
big things. Sometimes it is to do the big things and 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 to trust God in the middle of it. But sometimes being faithful uh, just involves saying, "God, you built me this way. What can I do today to build your kingdom? You know, what what gift did you give me that I can give back to you today?" And then for those of us that are called into the, you know, to to pastoral ministry, to to leave a career and start a podcast or whatever else that we're supposed to do, can we trust that God was the one who asked us to do that and therefore as a loving father will still be there when things look like they're hard? Why is it so hard to remember? I don't for me it is. Well, I mean like it's I'm not, I'm not joking. Like it just feels like this has been a, a 16 year career path thing for me now, um which is hard to say out loud. But every year or two, something like we're in a we're in a season of that right now. Just be completely honest. We're in a season of that right now where I wake up and I'm like, you know, I know this is where you want me to be, God, but I have no idea how you're gonna fix this because this is a mess. And 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 I just through my mom, through people that are around me, through God just whispering in my heart, he's like, Don't you trust me? <laughs> you know, yeah. don't you trust me? This is where you're supposed to be. And like I have no doubt in my mind I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, but still there's that that earthly fleshly thing in me that goes, God, this is big. Are you going to fix this? Like, you know, do I need to, you know, what, do I, what do I need to do, God? And it's just so hard to, it's hard to keep at the forefront of your mind, if that makes any sense at all. It is. It's it's, it's funny because when, when you're in it like that, you do have a, a tendency or we do have a tendency to question and wonder. But it's so funny because when you read Exodus and even throughout the history of the Hebrew people, uh, but just specifically with with Exodus, it's like he literally just parted the Red Sea for you, jokers. Gave you water to to solve uh, thirst for millions, you know. And then you know Moses is gone for a, a few extra days up the mountain, and uh, I guess he's gone. We'll we'll make a calf and yeah. start worshiping. It's like, yeah. You guys are idiots. I mean, what what are, what are you thinking? And but we do the same thing. Our, our own version. It's we should read that and then recognize ourselves in that we we doubt and we draw back over and over again and it's god who reshows us but um this whole notion of being obedient and what it looks like you heard from god and there are people who believe maybe that they have felt God has called them into a direction and they've either been obedient or disobedient. You started out as disobedient and that whole life just unraveled over time to the point where you um, had no choice but to sort of be in a desperation place and be willing to be obedient. What about people who don't feel like they've gotten that direction? have gotten that word from God that says, this is the path that I have or I want you to begin to take. Yeah, I think you think about the parable, that the, the talents that Jesus told in the New Testament, where he had several different workers with him. And he gave uh, a, a few talents to one, a little bit more to the second one, and a whole lot to the third and said, go do something with what I've given you. Uh, regardless of what that is, I'll be back soon to check on you. Uh, I think it's I think it's that same boat. They were supposed to be faithful. the 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 one The one guy who got in the most trouble was the one who buried it in the ground. And he said, "Well, I knew you were harsh, and you only gave me a little bit, so I didn't want to lose it." He got in trouble for not being obedient and faithful. And so I think all of us can be 
everyone has the call. If, you know, if, if you really believe what we say we believe about the New Testament and what Jesus said about obedience and following him, his biggest invitation was follow me, right? Follow me, follow me, follow me. Even before you believe me, follow me. Yep. And so uh, we've all been called to obedience. And so you can be obedient now. I mean, the, the, you can be scripturally obedient. You can, you can um, begin to take a step in faith. Even if you're not sure like what God's calling you to do vocationally, you can bow your head and ask, and you can begin to be faithful and engaged in what he's doing through the local church. You can be faithful and engaged in what he's doing globally in different ways through nonprofits, through, through various other agencies. You can begin to be faithful and then see where that leads. I think it, it can start with a small step. It doesn't have to be a burning bush or a pillar of fire or a, you know, a voice in your bunk in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, well— that's kind of the question is, uh, you know, how do, how do I begin this process? And it's, you know, for me, the more time I spend with God, the more familiar I become with him. And that is not earth shattering information. It's the same way with you. The more time I spend with you, the more I understand the way you think, the more I recognize your voice, you could call and now, and I, I would recognize you wouldn't have to say, Hey, Stacy, this is Drew. I just re- it's, it's the same thing with God. The more time we spend with God, the more intimate that relationship and familiar that relationship is. And I think we're able to hear or sense or feel his movement in our lives in a direction or two. You'll begin to see things happen that seem to open doors and close doors. But what happens is when we get back to, hey, I've got to take care of myself, we tend to uh, cling to, to safety. We tend to cling and, and gravitate back to the familiar. It's uh, not as uncomfortable. But when you think about, and what was the Indiana Jones movie where, where he's trying to get the Holy Grail? What was the? No, The Last Crusade, the last movie. Yeah. Well, I, I consider it the last one. I don't like the next one. So yeah. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade where he was getting the Holy Grail. Yeah. yeah. So he could, when he was going through the, the process and, and there was this giant chasm that he had to get across because it was located just beyond. And as he looked, there was no way to get across that. And he, he just had to have faith. He had to trust. And if he had just said, I, I got to stay in what's safe. I got to, I'm familiar with this. I'm on stable ground. I've, I've, I've traversed what's behind already. So I know what's there. I'm familiar with it. If he'd stayed there, he doesn't get it, and subsequently his father dies, right? And he had to pour the thing on it. And so he had to do something that was beyond scary for him. It, he was told to trust, and so he had to trust. And he took the step, and sure enough, the rock was just formed in such a way that it was uh, completely camouflaged, but he was able to walk right across. And I feel like uh, it's it's that way with us as it relates to that. We got to get ourselves into a place where we're familiar enough with God. We believe God in eternity enough that we we say, it's going to be okay to step away from the safe and familiar if we feel that we are being obedient to God. If obedience to God means stepping away from what is safe and familiar, I think that's exactly where God wants us. I think that step right there is exactly where God wants us. Because when he when when Indiana Jones took that step, all of a sudden, the things that he needed, the things that were fulfilling, the things that were beyond his wildest imaginations 
were open to him. He was no longer imprisoned by the familiar. Okay? He was no longer imprisoned by the familiar. He was freed by trusting. Yeah, we put safety as almost like an idol uh, in our lives. Idolatry still exists today in a lot of ways, and I think especially, I don't know, I, I keep picking on the American church, I don't mean to, but it's just it seems like a very American thing the more I've traveled, that uh, that we, we have to be secure and safe. And um, God never, he doesn't, I, I believe in my heart, God doesn't want harm to come our way, but also if we if we can become complacent and we make complacency and safety an idol, we're never going to be able to experience what God wants us to do on the other side. There's always going to be a step. There's always going to be a a letting go of something to grab onto something else. It's almost like that, um, you know, we see trapeze artists in the circus and they got to swing from one and there's that moment they have to let go of the one they're hanging on to to grab onto the next yeah. one. You know, I mean, they have to f- have faith that it's there, but that's kind of what God's doing in your life. It's like, look, I know you think you've got your life in this delicate balance, but I have such a better way for you. I just need you to let go. I need you to let go of where you are now and then go to the next thing. And and that weightlessness, that that fear of, you know, the loss of the known, it's almost like gravity disappears for a minute when you start stepping into something like that. God becomes the solid ground you land on, but you don't know that because you can't see it until you take the step. And so I just think there's so many people. Um, that are waiting to flip that switch. They're waiting to take that step of faith. And God's like, I'm right here. You just can't see me. Like, I'm right here. Uh, this is such a silly, I don't know why we're on a movie tangent, but uh, there, there's a there's a cut scene from um, The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Uh, it's where F- uh, Frodo and Sam have, I guess it's in The Two Towers, they have rappelled down into this foggy abyss and they can't see the ground, Right. Uh, and they're they're out of rope. They don't know what to do. Well, then uh, Sam drops this thing of of salt, and uh, he tries to catch it. Frodo falls, and they're only inches from the ground. But they didn't know. It felt like they were going to fall forever, and they were literally inches from the ground. I think it's like that with us in faith. Sometimes we're inches, inches from what God wants for us. Inches from this new level ground. Inches from this new, you know, uh, new better life that He has planned for us. But but we've we've clouded our vision with our safety, our complacency, our plan, our way. Um, you know, th- th- this doesn't this this house of cards I've built for myself is still holding me up right now, right? Yeah. And God's like, step off of that. I got something so much better. Hasn't it been the case all of our lives though? As kids, it's like no way I'm jumping off that diving board. <laughs> yeah. That is scary. Yeah. I can't do it. And you just run back. It's like I can't do it. And then the kid does it the first time. And then they look back over at it and it's like, let's do it again. Yeah. Let's do it again. And I've seen it with kids spending the night. I've seen it. It's funny to watch it in children, but it's the same way with us. That first time we're we're so hesitant to walk in to that new place of employment or um, this conference because I don't know anybody, but then... Once you're there, it's like, oh, this whole new way has been opened up for me. And now I'm doing flips off the diving board. And, you know, I was paralyzed with this fear before that was really unwarranted. Could I have gotten hurt? I I guess I probably could have jumped poorly and hit my head on the diving board or something like that. But, man, it opened it up to so much more coolness when I just stepped out in faith. It's been a, it's, it's a true all of our lives and we should be able to look back on different things in our, that we've had in our lives where we were fearful of, um, stepping out and doing something that was a little bit risky. But if God is calling us 
if God is nudging us, as God, if God is moving us, we got to know that what's on the other side has to be way better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if I could go back and tell my 17-year-old self, like, hey, man, guess what? When you're you know, in your mid-30s, you're going to be in this whole new place, and you're going to meet all these new people, and you're going to have all these great adventures, and God's going to be with you every step. I'd be like, oh, yeah. It's the same thing when, when Peter is in his boat, and Jesus has been talking to the crowd, and Jesus said, hey, will you, will you put your boat out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch? He didn't look at him and say, hey, Peter, guess what? If you do this, if you take me fishing, you're going to have this building named after you, St. Peter's Basilica, and you're going to be the founder of the church, and there's going to be all these great things that are going to happen. He just said, will you be faithful? Will you take me fishing? You know. And if he could have showed him, like pulled down the PowerPoint presentation and said, look at all these things, Peter's like, yeah, where do I sign up? Same thing for me when I was 17. Yeah, awesome. Sounds great. But you don't know that. I mean, God's just saying, do you trust me? His hand's out in front of you. Do you trust me? I have an adventure plan for you. Will you be faithful? Do you do you trust me? And it's always looking back that we go, yep, God, you were right, but you can't get there until you take that first step. In no way was this direction I had planned for this conversation. I mean, we're so far from that direction. <laughs> and it's so cool because this is what God does. And, and, and uh, <laughs> I had this happen before. But the, the, the deal is that is pressed on me with all of this is two things. One, if God is calling you and you test it, you ask him, you even ask him to confirm it, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but if God is moving you in a direction, you got you to gotta take a step. Because what, what we're suggesting is that trusting God is worth it. He is faithful like without blemish, right? His record is pretty, he's pretty good. Uh, you know, the whole eternity thing and, and, and never unfaithful. So we got to get to a place where we feel like if God is calling us to do something, we got to trust him and believe that it's going to be fine. And I promise you that whatever your plans are, are likely to lead you down a path that is unfulfilling and is probably going to yield far worse results than anything God has got lined up for you. So if you think your your financial security depends on you fleeing to safety, you're probably wrong. You're probably wrong. And so I I, I can say that with a lot of confidence because I'm talking about the faithfulness of God and the good, infinite goodness and power that he has. If you have not heard you feel like you have not heard from God. You feel like he has not really moved you. It's like, hey, I got a job. I got the things I do. We, we check in at church every now and then. You know, we don't really pray, but sometimes we do. You know, we might even say the blessing every now and then or something like that. And you don't feel like you're hearing from God. You need to draw near to him. That's what I would say. And I'm going to ask you, because you're a pastor and I'm not a pastor. I'm a Jesus follower who has spent a lot of time and intentionality in trying to know God in a richer way. He knows me as fully as you could imagine. I just need to get familiar with him. I need to spend time with him. I need to commit more of myself to him. And so that's what I would say. I would say get into a place where you're spending time with God daily if you're not doing it now, if it's prayer. I, I love the fact, this is another truism that I, you said earlier that we kind of blew right through. Your mother put a habit in you of praying. Yeah. And you 
didn't have emotional, spiritual depth in those prayers. It was like you were checking. It was just, it was almost like brushing your teeth, probably. Yeah. You were taught to brush your teeth and you were taught to say your prayers. But what that did was I had you talking to God every day. Yep. And even if you weren't in a place, you were, you were connecting to him in some way every single day. And it was in one of those moments that he literally spoke to you. And so there's a huge lesson in that. When we start connecting with God, he is reaching. His lines are open. He is reaching, and he's like, hey, just pick up, man. Just pick up. Let's hang out. Let's be friends. Let's, let's, let's spend some time together because there's great things for you here. But if you're not hearing from God, it's probably because you're not spending, spending the kind of time with him that you need to spend with him. You're maybe not even asking him. Ask him. And yeah. don't be afraid of what he's going to say. Because when you hear from him, he's going to take you in a place. And, and it, it might not be uh, an audible voice. It might not be that uh, someone rings your doorbell the next day with the opportunity. You, you just have to be faithful. Sometimes it, it takes some patience with it. But he was going to answer those things. And he's going to pull you into a place. And at that point, once again, you just got to know that life is eternal. And you're responding to the author of it all. Because he's got something good for you, and you just got to take that breath and step out. Yeah. Yeah, so good. I tell people all the time that uh, that if they're they're struggling to hear from God, I ask them how much quiet they have in their life. Uh, and, and like I'm a dad of four. Um, my wife and I have uh, kids that range from 15 to 5 uh, in our house, and quiet is very, very hard to find sometimes. But I say, when people say, I can't hear from God, I say, well, where are you finding quiet? Where you can just where you can just sit back and and maybe it's opening your scripture and reading, you know, uh, maybe it's just sitting and listening to a worship song, or maybe it's literally just sitting in silence and going, God, here I am. But you're not wrong. I was I was going through the motions of prayer as as a habit. It was a habit, not a conversation. And God spoke to me in that. And so that means God honors those little itty bitty faithful things. Like we we take our faith, our itty bitty faith, and we intersect it with God's grand faithfulness. And when we put those two things together, He works. It's it's God doing the work and us being open to him to do it. And so find that quiet time. Um, I, God speaks to me best in those moments where I just kind of take a breath and I sit in quiet, listen to a worship song or, you know, this is crazy for me, but it's oftentimes I'll go through um, the daily prayer office uh, in the morning. I'll, I'll do that or I'll, because <laughs> I'm a pretty contemporary guy, it's weird that I do that. But I've always found God speak to me through that, or um, you know, having quiet time where I'm just sitting and, and listening for God's voice and quieting myself down, not letting the world uh, get in the way. Satan wants—that's how he gets me. Uh, Satan wants so bad to keep my life loud um, and to keep it fuzzy, you know, like almost like staticky. And uh, when I make space to just say, not today, you know, not, not in this moment, these, this 15 minutes uh, is me and God and it's quiet. And I have a designated place that I go. I always encourage people to find a place. And I'm fortunate enough to work in a church so I can have a prayer closet and I just go in there. Uh, if you're working in an office, maybe it's the stairwell. Uh, maybe it's your car. Maybe there's a tree you can park your car under for lunch every day. Take 15 minutes, 15 minutes and just... Try to find some quiet where you block out the rest of the world and listen. And I, God has spoken so profoundly to me in those moments of silence. I think about that night laying in my bunk. It was completely quiet. Other than crickets outside, though, I wasn't listening. To, you know, usually I listen to music or you know something. You know, my brother and I doing something in our room. It was completely silent. You know, completely silent going through that habit. And I, I just find that my soul and my heart actually thirst for that silence now. 
Again, maybe it's just because I got a bunch of young kids in my house, but it, <laughs> yeah. God really speaks to me there. Oh man, that's a big deal. So, have you heard an audible voice again? Uh, that, not from God. I had one other weird experience where we just had this kind of really strange encounter with the spiritual world, and um, and I don't know why I don't t- like I told you I've never told this story out loud before um, in, to public, but uh, this one other weird encounter that we had living in a parsonage. If you don't know what that is. I was a pastor in a denomination that gave the pastor a house. He didn't make a whole lot of money, but they gave you a house to live in. It was not a very good house. Uh, but we were staying there probably the fifth or sixth night we'd been there. There was this room in the back of the house uh, where we'd use it for storage. It was like a, a closet. Uh, it, was the only, it was the only room on that wing of the house where the bedrooms were that had an, an electrical plug that worked. So I had to charge my Nextel walkie-talkie phone back there. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so I had my, my phone plugged in at night, and then um, it was really cold because the furnace didn't work. So we had our infant, who's now my 15-year-old, and my wife and I were all in the room in the front. And so uh, it's weird to imagine, but there was kind of like this hallway between where that phone was and where we were in our room. Uh, my dad was sick at the time. Uh, he was uh, battling cancer. And so I always tried to keep doors open because if my mom called at night, I want to be able to get the phone. So two or three in the morning, um, I hear that phone ring uh, down the hallway and it took me a while to get up. I'm running, you know, trying to get down the hallway to it. It stopped ringing. So I'm rubbing the, the sleep off my eyes and I'm looking at the phone and it said it was an unknown number on the phone. So I just trying to, I thought I got spam called at three o'clock in the morning and then it said I had a voicemail. So I push play on the voicemail. And it was this, I don't even know how to describe it. It was the worst sounding, horrible, screechy, raspy, terrible, angry voice I've ever heard that said, get out and stop. Uh, it was like, get out of the house, get out of the house. Like it was just, it was awful. Um, and, uh, I dropped the phone. Like I just dropped the phone immediately and ran to my wife and said, you know, we, we, <laughs> this is, this house is creeping me out. We have to get out of here. And so I called my dad and uh, shortly after he told me, I didn't even know I said this out loud, but he said, I knew you were scared because you said, daddy, can I come home? And you had <laughs> called me, you were like, I was like t- mid twenties. You haven't called me daddy in years. Um, but I did like, we got out of there and it was the creepiest thing. My, my grandfather went up there later and we, I wouldn't go back. We stayed at my mom and dad's house for uh, a while. And my grandfather went up there a couple days later and he said that there would have been a demonic presence in the house, and he had gone and prayed it out and uh, anointed the doors and and uh, prayed over it. And, and I know we went back a few days later, and we never felt any problems in that house again. And look, man, I I got a master's degree. I'm an like I'm a logical thinker. I'm a math engineer at heart. Okay, so. I want every way in the world to reason that out to say, you know, it was a prank call. It was a, you know, it was a, a fluke. I imagined it. I dreamt it. But you can't change what I felt and you can't change what I heard. I, I, I heard this horrible demonic voice tell us to get out. And I almost like I started feeling like it was a it was almost like a warning to quit minute. Like, don't do this. I was still in that phase of we just got started with this whole ministry thing. And you know, I, I had just started seminary kind of stuff, and it just felt like this this warning, screamy voice. It was weird. What was your response afterwards? I mean, I, I, <laughs> fear at first, um, but then uh, obviously I, I took it. Once it was done, 
this sounds really arrogant, but once it was done, uh, and, and my, my grandfather said that the, the presence had left and we could come back to the house. We went back to the house, never felt any fear, uh, in the place again. And I took it as, boy, Satan really doesn't want me to be faithful to God, does he? You know, that there's something that God's got planned or in store for me that's going to maybe not affect me at all, but it could be for my family or something else. It steeled my mind even more towards faithfulness and obedience rather than like, I, I consider that to be a pivotal circumstance. Like that I was, we were kind of standing as a family on the blade of a knife. And that could have been an experience that drove us to go, okay, I'm out. I, you know, I'm still fresh from college. I can get that engineering. I can call to Atlanta. I'm sure they'll still give me the job or I could be faithful. And what we chose to do was go, wow, Satan really tried to pull out all the stops there against us, didn't he? And we just decided to be even more faithful and more obedient than we had been before. And that was a pivotal decision for my family. Uh, I mean, we were, like I said, days. We, we were the fifth or sixth day we'd been at this church, staying in this house. And uh, it, it just became, it became one of those special moments. That's really amazing. Ah, that's so cool. And, you know, I guess we get really scared and about stuff like that. And you know, I think, gosh, we've had many episodes here. We've had several guests who have had encounters <laughs> of or with the enemy of God and I don't know you our culture makes us feel like it's not real and um, that that's a silly superstitious thing it's our overactive imagination it's us interpreting something of this world as something not of this world and not to get on an, uh, a completely different topic, but I guess we could do that for just a second because of what we've done before is, is so cool. But I don't know. I, I guess the world treats us uh, or, or shapes us into thinking that uh, that we're just some sort of uh, people who are filled with gullibility for superstition mm-hmm. or seeing what we want to see or you know, these things don't really exist. They're sensationalized in movies. Heck, we make fun of them at Halloween and uh, it's all fun, and it's not real or anything like that. You know, even sort of suggesting that people sub- that subscribe to those sort of things or sort of hanging out on the lower rungs of the intellectual ladder, or so to speak. How do we, as Christians, as smart Christians, how do we sort of address the social stigma of the things that, maybe are a little less sanitized in our faith. So when you start thinking about demons, right? That's what you're talking about. When you start thinking about uh, healings, when you start thinking about visions or those kinds of things, how do we address that as people of faith? You know, you and I were talking about this earlier. It's, it's, it says a lot that I've never told the story I just told out loud other than you all are the first one to ever hear me tell that Doesn't story. Doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I, mean, I mean, it does a lot. Uh, so it's like, did you not believe that that was an actual demon? I, I did. I think. I think what I've been afraid of is exactly what you're alluding to. Is like, well, that somehow sensationalizes faith, or that I that I latched on to something, and people are 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 um, thinking it's delusion, or it's. Um, I think 
for some reason we we prefer the intellectual side of faith. Uh, it just and I don't mean just me. I mean like there's a lot of us that uh, especially in the church world today there seems to be preferential treatment given to the intellectual side of faith. Uh, I I love to read. I love to think about big things. You want know, to wrestle about big theological topics and theodicy and all this. Stuff. I would love to. But you can't deny the the reality that we live between these two worlds of the spiritual and the physical. And you don't have to go much further than Jesus, who believed in demons and cast them out to go, well, obviously there's something going on, right? I, I think there's been some fear in us sharing, I say us, like those of us who've had experiences like this, sharing those experiences for fear of of being mocked or kind of... Uh, looked down upon. And so I think just normalizing sharing those experiences is what it's going to take. Normalizing the fact that this has happened, doing what you're doing is letting people tell our stories and uh, just making space for those things to be shared because, because otherwise we, we do, we, I think we have a, we don't have the full picture of faith. We don't have the full picture of the spiritual journey when you don't talk about it in real terms like that. And I think there's a I think there's a huge there's a there's a huge opportunity to be able to grow in your faith and your intellect, but I also feel like we're missing something if we deny the spiritual realm. Yeah, I I think we're super arrogant to think that all that exists can be seen with the human eye. <laughs> I mean, it it doesn't sound arrogant. It almost sounds stupid to me. Yeah, it's like what causes us to think that everything that is is everything that we can see and that somehow human beings are at the top of the intellectual chain. Why, why would we think that? What makes us think that there's nothing beyond us because we can't see it? I mean, can an amoeba digest the concept of a human being? And that level of intelligence, and I mean, and that's that's pretty close in proximity to life form versus us and and God and the heaven, heavenly realm. I just I, I feel like it's uh, pervasive throughout academia that you know, it's almost like we look down our nose at at anybody who thinks that there is more out there than what we can see. I don't know how to address that. I, I, when I when I think through these things, and I get it, smart people say, "Hey, look, science is what we do. We we try to find things that are that we can demonstrate, we can prove, and 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 that sort of thing, and things that we can see and touch and explain." And and faith is just abandoning reason and the attempt at explaining something that is natural and just chalking it up to this superstition of this otherworldly stuff. And so uh, we're not that lazy. We're going to figure it out eventually. Um, but what I feel like, and I believe, is that necessarily, <laughs> if there is a God, he must exist beyond the measure of our tools and our instruments. And it breaks the system. It breaks science for us. And, and there's no explanation for that. And scientists don't have an appetite for that. But as I just stand back and look at that, it's like, what makes us think that we are at the top of the intellectual chain just because that's the way we see it? Yeah, I, I've got a really good friend who is an astrophysicist, one of the most brilliant people I've ever talked to. 
And he told me once that uh, stepping your first toe into the into the waters of astrophysics will make you an atheist. But by the time you get up to your knees, you cannot deny that there's a creator. Uh, <laughs> and I love that. Like, I, it's just stuck yeah, with me. That's good. Um, because uh, it, it, you just get to a place where I think that there's a I think that the reason that we're so is a is a is a species why why we as humans are so determined to explain and reason everything is because it feels safer that way. I know we're picking on safety for some reason today. I don't know why that I am, but but like it just feels safer to be able to go. Well, that's exactly what, how that works. That's exactly how that works, and and it can't work any other way. And by definition, we're finite beings trying to describe, you know, as Jesus followers, what we believe is that we we serve an infinite God. And so how could we as finite beings ever think we could possibly completely explain away an infinite being, especially when there's the miraculous? I mean, we, we, we have systems that we use to describe how certain things are supposed to work. And God, with the snap of a finger, can upend that entire system and has, I mean, through scripture and through our experiences that we've all had, upended those systems. You know, doctors will walk into a room and say, there's literally nothing I can do for your husband. And then moments later, after a prayer, God has snapped his fingers and this person is walking, talking, living, breathing. I mean, how do you explain that other than you can't explain everything? Yeah, yeah, and you look at things, and, and it's interesting to see that the deeper science digs into their findings and discoveries, the more that pendulum is swinging back into a place where many scientists are saying, I, I, I don't see how there can't be a, an intelligent creator to all things. If, if you've never Googled uh, the fine-tuning of the universe, just Get down that rabbit hole for a little while and see what science is discovering about the impossibility of life anywhere in the universe, including Earth, and and the fact that it has defied the most immeasurable odds that any life anywhere exists in the universe. It's just, uh, it's amazing to think about, and and scientists even now, that I, I think there are atheists even that have said, you know, if there were one argument that has you know, caused you to pause in your disbelief of God, what is it? And it's the fine-tuning of the universe. So check that out on your own uh, sometime. But uh, I think i got to get you back to do more of this kind of stuff. I mean, we we went into a place today, and I, I still go back to it because I think it's where a lot of people are, in that we have either heard from God in, in things that we need to be doing, or He wants us doing, that are going to take us into a place of joy and peace and fulfillment that we couldn't imagine. And we're being disobedient to that. Hmm. And you may even be experiencing some of the consequences of that disobedience. And you know it. You know what he's talked about, but you can't, you can't make it add up to stability in the modern world. <laughs> Right in some in some fashion or not, you can't make that add up, and because of that, um, you've you've fled to safety. You are sticking the familiar. I think we would challenge you to go to God in prayer with that, mm. and open yourself up to the Author of Life, moving you in whatever direction, and open yourself up to to trusting Him and to taking that that breath. Drew didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't, and um, he did. He just didn't do it Im- immediately, yeah. and and so you kind of experienced both of those. And and then the other side of that is if you're not, if you don't feel like you're hearing from God, and you don't feel like He's calling you into a place um, for kingdom work, whatever that could look like. It doesn't 
necessarily mean, in fact, it's probably a low percentage that it could be ministry. It could be a full-time ministry, but it may not be. You don't have to necessarily move to Africa, and but you may, right? God may be calling you there. He, he will tug on your heart in such a way that you'll know, and you should test it. He might not give you an audible voice. I'll just tell you, those things are rare. I, I only know a handful of people that claim to have heard something audible. I have not, and um, I think it'd be cool. But, hey, God does what he does the way he does it, and I'm cool with that. But get yourself in a place where you're spending more time with God. Hear him the way you hear him. Get familiar with his voice. Get familiar with silence and comfort in silence with him so that he can begin to pull you in a place that he's got prepared for you that's way better than you can imagine. That's what we've done today. I got to get you back here so we can talk about some of these other things. And but, man, today turned out to be about trusting God when yeah. He's moving you, didn't it? Yeah, it did. I, I'm grateful that we got to have this conversation. I didn't know it was going to go this direction either, but um, the word picture you gave me of the tank emptying—I'd uh, never thought of that way before. But uh, I'm really grateful for you kind of putting that into an image for me to think about that season of my life was. My, I was trying to find fulfillment in it on my own, but there was a hole in the bottom of the gas tank, and I just never thought of it that way. It was so good. So thank you. I'm, that's worth the price of me coming back again for sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, I think today was a, a, a really cool conversation around obedience to God. And I think, he's going to call, I think he's going to talk to us all in some way. I think he's calling us to do work that builds his kingdom. And that could look like a lot of things. And I think there are people listening now that know what that is for them and that have resisted it. Um, I think there are people who have, who know what that is for them and have put their toe in the water and haven't jumped on in in full trust. And I think God may be challenging you to do that. And I think there are people who um, have a little too much noise to hear God calling them. And uh, I think this is, might be a challenge to Find that space of silence. Find some time with God so that he can uh, take you into those places. So um, anyway, Drew, I appreciate you coming. Is there anything that that I didn't ask you about? No, I don't think so. Um, I'm really grateful for what we got to talk through today. I'm, I'm with you. I feel like whatever this was about faithful and obedience was meant for somebody to hear. Maybe I just needed to hear it out loud myself for the season that I'm walking through as well. I think I need to hear it again, too. I think in true God fashion— <laughs> <laughs> There's tentacles of this going in a lot of different directions, so it's exciting to participate. And this is one of those, like I said before, usually uh, I pray about how these conversations might go. I like to prepare a little bit. I, I even jot down some questions and um, that sort of thing. I, I don't think I've asked any of the questions that I have <laughs> on this list of questions right here. And when that happens, I just smile at it, and uh, I look at it, and, and sometimes I'll say a prayer. It's like, God, am I supposed to ask these questions now? And he's like, no. I know that you didn't plan that, and um, there's lots of things that happen in your life that you don't plan. If you'll just be obedient to me, beautiful things happen. And um, I think it's really cool because the very thing we talked about is sort of encapsulated in the way the structure of the conversation unfolded. So um, it's just like trusting God and go with Him. It's going to be way better than what you had planned in the first place. (laughs) That's good. Drew's story of God's calling. Drew's disobedience, his subsequent spiritual depletion, and eventual fulfillment stemming from turning back to obedience is a story that is likely familiar 
to many Christians, including you. It's also interesting to note that once Drew obeyed and stepped into his ministry, the enemy of God, in a last-ditch effort, tried to scare him back to safety using the same tactic God used to pull him from safety, an audible voice. Drew's story should remind us once again that God has better things for us, but they only come as a result of obedience to Him. I invite you to take whatever it is He is stirring in your heart back to Him in prayer so He can continue to show you the purpose He has for you. Thank you for joining us today on A Stronger Faith. For more episodes like this one, to recommend a guest or to support this ministry, please visit astrongerfaith.com. Until next time, we pray for peace, an energized kingdom purpose, and a stronger faith for you and those you love.